Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back. Before we get to today's podcast, um, I wanted to have Julie read this headline from CNBC to all of you. And actually, we might even read the article. And I'm not going to even comment. I'm going to do my best to keep my yap shut. And longtime listeners know that's nearly impossible. I'm just going to have Julie read this to you, starting with the very salacious. Oh, I just commented, didn't I? (laughs) The headline. The the headline, not salacious. It's just a headline. It's it's innocent. Exactly. It's an innocent headline. So she's going to read this to you. And then all of us together are going to really take this headline, this article apart, because we as real estate professionals clearly need to understand what's going on in the real estate market so we can explain it to all of our, um, you know, our real estate clients. And also really to yourself, you you need to know what's going on so you can actually have some resemblance of, uh, frankly, calmness and control as you enter into the new real estate market at the end of this year and the next year, you're definitely going to be experiencing a completely different market than we've experienced the last 10 years. Everything's going to feel significantly different. The way people, frankly, buy and sell, uh, rather, the way they think about buying and selling real estate emotionally is going to profoundly change. And frankly, you know, headlines and articles like this are not helping. So we're going to share this with you now. So Julie, just go ahead and read it and let's talk about it. All right. Here's the headline. Home prices cooled in July at the fastest rate in the history of S&P Case-Shiller Index. Boom, boom, boom. Sounds pretty radical, doesn't it? That boom, boom, boom wasn't in the article. The fastest rate in history of Case-Shiller. Wow. Here are the key points. I got to read some of these. Yep. Here are the key points. The 10 city composite rose. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. This is confusing. Home prices cooled in July at the fastest rate in history of the S&P Case-Shiller Index. Now, how many people are just going to read that headline and they're done? That's the whole article. And yet, the key points in the article, first key point being the 10-city composite roll rose, sorry, 14.9% year over year, down from 17.4% in June. Oh, no. Hold on. I don't understand. So you're telling me year over year. From 2021 in July to 2022 in July, that their 10 uh, city composite, the home prices went up by 15%. That's what it says. How the hell does that match the headline? It doesn't. It does not. You can read the second one. Okay, and the 20 city composite gained 16.1%, down from 18.7% in the previous month. So I don't think that's horrific. Uh, in other times, you know, that the headline would have been prices up 16.1. Tampa, Miami, and Dallas saw the highest annual gains among the 20 cities in July with increases of 31.8%, 31.7%, and 24.7% respectively. Worth noting that all of the fastest growing cities are in the fastest growing states that happen to have the least amount, if no uh, state taxes. It is a good mental note because generally speaking, guys, long-term trends like that do not slow down. So you're going to see in the next 10 to 20 years, probably the rest of our lifetimes, you're going to see the winners that are winning now win even bigger. So if you want to know where the city centers are going to be for the United States, look to see where the rapid growth is. So Julie, let's just read a little bit of this because it gets into the weeds. And they're trying to make it make sense because the next thing they wrote was U.S. home prices cooled in July at the fastest rate in the history of S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Index, according to a report released on Tuesday. 
They go on to say home prices in July were still higher than they were a year ago, but cooled significantly from June gains. Prices nationally rose 15.8% over July of 2021, well below the 18% increase of the previous month, according to the report. So now we're just repeating things, but here's really what the drill down is going to be. How many of you out there knew that home prices year over year on average rose by basically 16%? And that was at the end of the July. How many of you actually knew that is actually what had happened? How many of you were believing the headlines as a real estate professional thinking that home prices aren't increasing or even worse, believing that home values were, that homes were losing value, right? Yeah. What they're talking about is the houses are not increasing or inflating or appreciating as fast as they were. Not the same as what happened back in 2007 and 2008. Back then, prices were losing value. You paid 500000 and now the house is worth 400000 That's not the same. If you bought a house a year ago for 500000 now your house is appreciated by almost 100000 in the past 12 months. Do you guys get the massive difference? There is no housing crash on the horizon. It's not going to happen. So what, ultimately, of home price appreciation or inflation starts to level off a little bit? It's not the worst thing in the world. You're still going to make a whole bunch of money when you purchase a house. It's still a hell of a lot better than renting a house. Yes. Yeah, so, so they're trying to translate this a little bit here. Uh, Craig Lazara, the managing director, uh, said in the release, July's report reflects a forceful deceleration Noting the difference in the annual gains in June and July of the 2.3 percentage point difference between those two monthly rates of gain is the largest deceleration. So that's the actual fact is that just a 2.3% is, by comparison, a big slowdown. And keep in mind, listeners, that there's a huge difference between deceleration, that's not the same as depreciation. So it's just accelerating at a lesser rate by 2.3%. So what's the story here? Is the story that basically people are still making between 10 and 20% per year on their house and that's a bad thing? Is, is that really what they're trying to tell me in this article? Because I don't get it. I, I promise you right now, if all of a sudden, if Apple, for example, was going to increase the value of its shares by 20% per year, everybody and their brother and their dog would be buying Apple shares. You guys get the point? So... Just please, when I, we can read all the rest of the little manipulation of the data here, if you guys would like, or just find it on CNBC. These are the types of articles that when an ill-informed or low, you know, frankly, information consumer, or frankly, real estate practitioner, if you're just glancing at the headlines and you're just getting that little five-second snip of information, you are going to have your head filled of garbage. Now, Very here's, misleading. Here's a question that I don't have an answer for, but it is interesting to me. Why is it that... For example, CNBC wants you to have a doomy and gloomy feeling about the value of real estate. Who benefits from that? I think that's kind of fascinating, isn't it? So why is it that they're not celebrating the ridiculous increase in appreciation of real estate? Why is it instead they want us to basically bemoan the fact that people are only making basically 20% opposed to say 30% from a year ago? I don't understand why. Well, the obvious answer, and that probably is the answer, is because more people will read a negative headline than will read a positive headline. Yep. More people will be attracted to negative garbage than they will, you know, things are going to make them feel good and appreciative of the fact they bought real estate. I can't think of any other reason. So you've got to get a good at being your own guru, your own expert, and learning all this information yourself. And just here's the key. <laughs> this is so true. <laughs> Excuse me. When you're reading these headlines or these articles about housing, um, 
Scroll to the last paragraph in the article because that's going to pretty much tell you all you need to know. Everything up to then, and especially if you see interviews with like with regards to housing, or where you know Bob in Manhattan was interviewed by the cost of his rent. Okay, when you see a whole bunch of those sort of human interest type stories that are inter intertwined into the article, definitely skip all of that. And definitely, because they're obviously trying to show you a particular bias, they're never balanced, and just get to the facts. And the facts are, guess what? The real estate market's doing incredible. The fact is that going forward, the real estate market's going to do incredible, even with interest rates rising. The fact is, if you bought a house in the past a long period of time, and you have an interest rate that's less than 4%, some people have less than 3.5%, some people have less than 3%, and your house is increasing by at least 20%, per year over the last 12 months, 17% or whatever, you are doing incredibly well, congratulations. You win, you've won the real estate lottery. There are no two ways about it. Even if you won by two point something percent less month over month, you're still winning big time. But Julie, just think about the insanity of <laughs> yeah. it, honestly. So if you bought a $500,000 house, let's say, and you put down 50,000, right? You didn't even sure. put down, you know, uh, and now that house is uh, up by, you know, uh, basically $100,000. You've not, you've doubled your investment. You're still winning. And people say, yeah. ugh, anyway, I, know, I, know. I, I have nothing more to say. Well, just be careful of the headlines. If you're just a headline scroller, you're probably getting a lot of misleading stuff in your head. I just, I honestly, I understand why people are attracted to negative things. And here's the real reason, in my opinion, um, and this is after having done a billion coaching calls. If you read, like ask yourself and monitor how you feel emotionally after you've read a negative headline or after you've heard bad news. And in a way, it makes you relaxed in a strange way. It makes you feel calm. And the reason is, is because, and this is my opinion, and I'd love to have this conversation with someone that's more knowledgeable about psychology than me. But when people believe that their tomorrow is not going to be better than their today, it gives them permission to be lazy today. So if you believe that your tomorrow, if it's just baked in that we're going to some sort of, you know, economic firestorm and it's just, you know, zombie apocalypse meets the plague meets whatever the hell well, else. It makes it not your fault. Exactly. And you have an excuse not to perform. I would have, you know, lost that 20 pounds, but why the <laughs> hell should I, you know, I might need it in need case it the, the apocalypse winter. returns. Exactly. It's yeah. good for the winter. You know, people used to say that when we were growing up in Ohio. You gotta fluff up. <laughs> gotta fluff up. Yeah. But I mean, that's why I, so I have to think that when people hear negative news, they're attracted to it because it gives them an excuse, maybe subconsciously to be complacent. I, I really don't know. You guys help me out with that in your comments, uh, what your opinion is. But ask yourself, why are you attracted to negative headlines? Why are you attracted to negative information? The, the uh, algorithms and all this stuff, all that stuff, politicians, everybody, all they do is mirror what people are wanting to hear. None of those, you, you guys think politicians have power? They do. But all they're doing is mirroring what people are telling them to say and do. That is true with news. It's true with popular culture. It's all those things. So why is it that people are collectively so addicted to negative information? Why are you? Start there. Think about that. And if you're not sure what the answer is, here's what we always suggest. Go completely media-free, except for this podcast, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Go completely media-free. Give yourself a week off, two weeks off, then a month off. And notice how you go through stages of withdrawal. At first, it's going to be, oh my gosh, I'm missing something. Oh my gosh, what did this politician say? Or, oh my gosh, what's going on? Somehow something is going to get by me and I'm not going to be the, you know, the, the essentially have all the latest breaking. Okay, so you're going to go through withdrawal. Then you're going to go through this feeling of like strange, it's withdrawal, it's fear of not knowing something, 
or fear of not having the latest breaking information news. That's ego, by the way, that you're experiencing. And then after that, what you're going to do is you're going to have this period of a strange calmness. And that strange calmness is going to result in one or two things. You're either going to want more of that calmness. And so you're going to continue on that path of being media free or that calmness is going to give you a massive surge of insecurity that you're then going to have to jump right back in and you're going to start absorbing that news. And I'll give you a, for example, from Julie and I just recently. So we were married 30, we are married 31 years now, 31 years and some days. Our anniversary was a couple weeks ago. Thanks to the hundreds of you that wished us happy mm-hmm. anniversary. And we gave each other the nicest gift ever. Some of you know, it was very romantic. It was called COVID. Yeah. Proof that we still like each other. <laughs> That's right. We gave each other COVID <laughs> and it was quite romantic. Very great timing. Couples that suffer together, you know, yeah. the rest of it. Well, so we then changed. Obviously, we weren't feeling like eating, frankly. We had less caffeine. We had less, uh, you know, we basically were just, you know, trying to get better. We had no appetite, you know, all of that. But here's the fascinating thing. Julie and I were, uh, for almost two weeks, drinking less um, Celsius, frankly, in coffee. We cut involuntarily back on all the caffeinated beverages. And I went through physiological withdrawal. I was getting headaches every day. And then I, well, figured it was COVID. But it wasn't. It was actually me going through caffeine withdrawal. And I'm not going to get back on the caffeine. I'm not, well, I am, but not to the same levels Mm -hmm. as I was before. But the same thing goes, your body goes through withdrawal whenever you stop doing something that it's used to having. You know, obviously in this case, every time you read a negative headline, and again, this goes back to what they've researched, positive headlines don't give you a dopamine hit. Negative headlines give you a dopamine hit. There's a little chemical that gets released in your brain that gives you a strange sensation that it only happens when you have uh, negative information. The physiology on that must be that evolutionarily, we must have been designed to seek negative information. And Julie and I have a philosophy on that, and we are going to get to part two in a second. Um, the philosophy is that negative information keeps you alive, right? You can be an optimistic pessimist. In other words, Charlie Munger's famous for this. I mean, you can actually have, uh, you know, be a pessimist by nature that causes you to think more logically than emotionally as long as you're still willing to basically move forward. The worst case is if you're a pessimist and you're a skeptic and you never actually make any decisions because then you don't go anywhere. But ultimately, we are obviously designed to seek negative information because the negative information keeps us alive. And the little story I've visualized for myself to kind of understand this is like, say, it's Julie, me, Zoe, Maxie, our French bulldog, and my mom. And this is the 4,000 years ago, right? And we're walking some sub-Saharan Africa, whatever. And we're walking this clearing and we can see all the way around us. And ahead of us, there's this big thatch of trees or forest of trees or whatever you have in Africa. Remember, sub-Saharan Africa, thousands of years ago, there were trees and there was water. It wasn't like it was now. So we're walking down this path and all of a sudden, this uh, another little family comes out of the woods and they're looking at us and we're looking at them. And, you know, the whole waving thing and all that was originally designed to show that you don't have any weapons in your hands. So they're friendly. We're friendly. No one's going to kill each other. So we're going to go up to each other. And before we pass, we're going to stop. And we're not going to talk about the beautiful days or did you see that zebra, that giraffe or the whatever. We're going to talk about, is there anything that you passed along your way that we should be preparing for? And by the way, along what we passed so far in our sojourn today, this is what we experienced. You know, there's a saber-toothed tiger that's back there hiding behind a rock. You know, there's a whatever. You guys get the point? So people would naturally exchange negative information in order to basically keep them. It was a survival survival technique. technique, Totally. And that carries through to today. 
But guess what? You're not learning any survival techniques from watching the media. You're not learning any survival technique from listening to CNN or Fox News. You're not. You're just triggering that same physiological reaction in your brain. And it's actually screwing up your potential because you've gotten so addicted to all of it. And you're, look at the CNBC headline we just read. That headline exists because they knew more people will click on it because more people are looking for bad news. So maybe you're thinking about buying a house and you're saving up the money. And now you're going to read that headline. You're going to say, well, dodge that bullet. I'm going to stay a renter. Now, what's going to happen as a result of staying a renter? You're probably going to stay a renter for decades because of the fact that interest rates and housing prices are going to continue to rise and you're going to be priced out of the market forever because you were attracted to that negative information opposed to actually reading it and thinking about it. Hopefully you guys are internalizing all this because it really does matter. It's the difference between, it's a difference between, frankly, between becoming the person you want to be and different facets of your life, not just financially and not. You know, it, you, people say you become the average of your five closest friends financially. Well, it also has to, true, has to be true that you become the average of your most dominant thoughts in your head. And if your most dominant thoughts in your head are the ones that are seeking negative information, hey, that might be the reason why you're not experiencing what you otherwise could be experiencing um, on this planet. So hopefully that all makes sense. My rant is over. Now we're going to get to part number two. Part number two. And we're talking about your first 90 days in real estate. For some of you, the next 90 days in real estate, these points apply equally to newbies and those of you who are a bit more experienced. Yesterday was part one. This is point number eight of part two. Don't seek or take advice from unqualified fake coaches. Free YouTube advice, Facebook surveys, and salespeople trying to sell you stuff do not have your best interest at heart, nor do they have the authority or experience to advise you. How do you know who's a fake coach? Ask these four questions. I'm going to go through these quick. This is real estate coach. Question number one. These are four questions. Write these down. Remember these. Incredibly important. By the way, same questions you could use when um, deciding anyone to hire. Number one, Mr. You know, quote unquote coach. Have you actually sold real estate before? If the answer is no, they're a social media guru or whatever. They don't qualify to be a real estate coach. Do not give them the time of day. They're not even, should not even be in consideration. Question number two. So let's say they have had a license. Question number two. Have you, Mr. Coach, actually sold 100 houses in a single year? If the answer to that question is yes, then move on to question number three. Did you actually sell 100 houses per year for at least five years in a row? Now, the question one is good, but it's not good. I'm sorry. Question two, have you sold at least 100 houses in a year is good, but it's not good enough because they could have, frankly, gotten lucky. They could have listed a subdivision. They could have listed a building. They could have listed who knows what. Five years in a row, that shows somebody that's got their act together. That's somebody who actually knows not just how to sell real estate, knows not just how to basically put up good numbers, but knows how to actually run a business. That person probably has something to listen to and something to contribute to your life in a positive way. But the quest, the fourth question is the most important question. Okay, great. So you've got someone who's had a license, someone who's sold 100 houses in a year, someone who's sold 100 houses for five years in a row. Fantastic. Question number four. Have they actually done 100,000 paid coaching calls? Paid being the most important, uh, you know, coaching sessions being the most important question. Why? Because they'll lie to you. They're going to tell you that they've done presentations on YouTube. They're going to tell you that they've done office meetings. They're going to tell you they've been in front of groups of agents at this event or that. And they're going to try to convince you that it's the same as coaching. It is not the same as coaching. It is maybe training, but it's not coaching because here's the reality of it. You can be excellent at selling real estate. And, and you know, frankly, that's not so uncommon nowadays. There's a lot of people that are excellent at selling real estate. 
That does not mean you're going to be excellent at teaching other people to sell real estate. Those two things, one does not equal the other. And I know that from personal experience. Totally different skills. It, ridiculous. And I'll tell you what's more is learning how to teach somebody else to be excellent at selling real estate is about two trillion times harder than it is to learn how to actually sell real estate at a high level. I 100% agree. Selling real estate at a high level is so simple versus trying to uh, essentially learning how to teach others to do it. it yes. There's no comparison. Yes. Yes. There's no comparison. And yes, a paid coaching call is different than a free coaching call because market forces will not, frankly, would not have allowed you to receive payment a hundred thousand times for coaching calls unless you were actually good at what you did. So when you're deciding who you're going to listen to, I know it's tempting to listen to a high energy and enthusiasm you know, type on YouTube, but why don't you do yourself a favor and actually make them qualify to actually be somebody who has the right to put their misinformation or information in your head. Little tiny bits of bad information can ruin your potential because it changes your trajectory. Imagine if you're shooting an arrow down a field, right? And the target is... I don't know, 50 yards away. Good distance for an arrow, right? To be accurate. If you're trying to hit dead center, are you aiming above the target, below the target, or at the target? You guys should understand this. Ultimately, if you're trying to hit the target, you have to aim slightly above the target. That goes true when you're hiring someone to be your professional coach. You have to make it so that someone's actually performed at a high level consistently and been paid to do it. Yes, and that also goes for you guys trying to coach each other online. That's totally. some of the craziest stuff I've seen. Well, but the, the point I was trying to make with the arrow is if you actually aim slightly off by one tiny degree, you're not even going to hit the target. You're not even going to be able, you're going to be in a different state. Yeah. And that happens when you are taking bad information. For example, someone tells you, spend two hours a day making TikTok videos. Okay, all of a sudden, TikTok, which is a uh, owned by the Chinese government, is now made illegal in the United States. And all your TikTok videos, which almost happened, by the way, which probably should happen, by the way. Probably will happen. Probably will happen. All your TikTok videos now go out the window because now all of a sudden they're not being able to be seen in the United States. You took a tiny bit of bad advice from somebody who did not know what I just said, did not know that was a possibility, and now you've wasted all that time when you should have been spending that time doing something that was going to lead you in a position or keep you in a position of being able to proactively yep. lead generate. Hopefully all of this resonates with you. Point number nine, keep your online profiles professional. Don't be political, opinionated, or complaining. Don't have unfinished profiles. Have a professional business Facebook page. And don't get talked into paying for website optimization. Your social media is there to support your business, not to create business. It by itself is not a spoke. We talked about spokes in the wheel yesterday. Right. And remember, proactive first, passive Maybe never, but definitely optional. Do not lead with passive lead generation. Thinking enough of it is going to replace being a proactive lead generator. It will not. It will not take long for you to discover what I'm saying is true as you, frankly, are not staying in the real estate business. By the way, thank you to the hundreds of you who joined Premier Coaching this month. Hundreds of you are taking the next natural step in your real estate careers, and you're learning how to take your businesses to the next level. We have seasoned veteran agents joining, new agents joining, agents selling in different price ranges. 
The best part of Premier Coaching is it is a complete system designed for a changing market like this. Simply text the word Premier to 47372. Text the word Premier to 47372. Yes, you can join Premier Coaching for free. And remember when you do that, it does include a daily semi-private coaching call. You wanting to take your education and your training and your level of success to the next level? Here's the simplest way for you to do it. Join Premier Coaching. Text the word Premier to 47372. If you're outside of the continental United States or if you just prefer to go to the website directly, you may just go to members.timandjulieharris.com. Members.timandjulieharris.com. Now, point number 10 is huge. I've had so many coaching clients tell me that this was life-changing. Here's the point. Answer your phone. Call people back as soon as possible, even if that's to tell them you're about to be on an appointment and you'll call them at a certain time. Why do you answer your phone whenever possible? Well, lack of communication is the number one complaint real estate clients and prospects have. When they don't hear from you, they are not thinking good things. And how many of them won't even leave a message? They'll just call the next agent or they'll forget what they were calling about. You won't even know that they were trying to get a hold of you. So answer your phone. I've had many coaching clients tell me that just by answering their phone and not appearing to be too busy or too whatever, they have increased their business by 20 or 30% just by being there. I'll add to that. A slight edit. Answer your phone, but really it's all about furiously fast lead follow-up. And that's one of the chapters in our best-selling book, Harris Rules. Furiously fast lead follow-up means less than a minute to call back every lead. You guys are listening to people telling you to feed all your leads to ISAs, then feed them into funnels. I promise you nobody in the face of planet Earth wanting to do a real estate transaction is going to want to talk to an ISA and then be shoved into a funnel. You need to be really, really, and here's the other problem that a lot of you guys do. You never actually learn how to be a really good proactively generator. You just figure out, oh, I'm going to hire an ISA to make calls for me because I'm I, my time is too busy. I, my time mm-hmm. is too valuable. I should be doing something else with my time. You don't know how to do it. How are you going to delegate it? How are you going to hold somebody accountable to actually doing it? You won't. It'll fail. They'll fail. You'll be back where you started. Or they'll tell you all your leads suck, so you spend more money trying to get more leads. Exactly. And the same goes with pre-qualifying. We will, uh, even our most seasoned veteran agents, especially upper-end ones, you do not delegate your pre-qualifying. Nobody is going to be good as pre-qualifying, assuming you take the time to be good at it, than you. No one's going to be focused in on what matters most. Every single lead that shows up in your life, you need to be asking the questions that are part of the pre, uh, you know buyer pre-qualifying script because what you'll discover, especially if you're dealing with more expensive stuff, almost all of them have a house or multiple houses to sell that they're not going to tell an assistant. They're not going to tell your funnel and your drip campaign. And your assistant isn't really that interested anyway. They just want to get off the phone and stuff somebody into the drip. So please, listen, if you're not experiencing levels of success you want, does your mind immediately go to abdication of the responsibility? Or do you, so like, that's what you, a lot of you do, right? Abdication means to give up the responsibility, to not own the outcome. You know, a king or a queen will abdicate the throne. Maybe you can familiarize yourself, you know, through that sort of thought process. You are not, you're delegating, but you, you don't, you, it's okay to delegate. It's not okay to abdicate. You can trust, but verify. That's a very famous quote and it really matters. So if you're going to delegate something, you cannot just simply walk away from the responsibility of the outcome. You have to hold the person and let them know you're holding them responsible. Now you'll get good people that don't need constant care and monitoring. And in those cases, you can just monitor your KPIs on your dashboard to see things that are happening or not happening. But the reality of it is there's certain things that you should never delegate in your business. And number one is definitely going to be pre-qualifying. 
That is so important that you keep that on the forefront. It keeps you, it keeps your brain frosty. You guys think building a team is somehow buying back your, your uh, time and you're, you're getting leveraged through people. Oh, that's true. But all you're doing really is you're moving your time from actually working with buyers and sellers and making huge margins as a result of it, lots of net profit, to now you're managing the people that are working with the buyers and sellers. You're not actually getting any of your time back. This is the reason that real estate brokerages and teams do not sell for more than one or two X. They don't sell because of what I just explained to you. So if your goal, if your mission in life, if your product in real estate, which it should be, is to be profitable, so you need to have profit, you need to be really thinking through some of these dogmatic decisions that people are just, well, you got a real estate, you sold some houses, now it's time for you to add staff. Well, why? What's the point? Well, it's because everyone told me to. Well, you've been in, you know, you, you're successful in real estate, now you got to build your brand. Well, why? Why do I have to build my brand? Explain that to me. The brand building people do not have an answer because there is no answer because you don't have to do it. That's the reality of it. In real estate, you just focus on uh, attracting to you, calling, proactively lead generating the people who already have their hands in the air saying, yes, I want to buy or sell. If you're selling something on Instagram or you're doing something like that, then the whole brand building thing makes sense. But you're not. You're a real estate practitioner. You're a professional real estate agent. You do not have to look for the business. The business in your marketplace every single day has its hand in the air and say, yes, I'm ready to uh, you know, primarily sell a house. You just have yet to learn that they, those leads exist and you don't know how to actually proactively generate those leads. That's what we teach you in Premier Coaching. We teach you about 20 different sources. And by the way, all these sources are free, available to every single agent. You just have to know how to go after them, know what to say, and know how to convert them. And that is included in Premier Coaching. Text the word Premier to 47372. Text the word Premier to 47372. Remember, a message and data rates may apply. Point number 11 is a simple business point. Don't negotiate over text messages. Text is subject to misinterpretation. The other person may not even get the tone that you intended. Other people could be reading their texts, and language barriers make it all worse. It's not a legal document. That's a rookie mistake. We didn't used to have that in this outline, but now we do. And no pre-qualifying over text either. Do yeah. not form relationships over text. I know a lot of the younger people, when I'm texting, I text every day a billion times a day. I know a lot of people have made texting essentially their preferred uh, way of communicating. But even those who are really you know, rabid texters, you cannot tell me that talking to somebody on the phone or video conference, you know, or even face-to-face -face is anywhere near as effective as texting. It's not. So what are you actually doing by texting? Why are you doing it? It is more efficient use of your time, no doubt, but you're also avoiding having a real conversation, which means you're avoiding helping somebody, which means you're avoiding making money. That's what's really going on. So cut through your own malarkey, guys, and realize that everything you want in your real estate career, in life, is on the other side of doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. We say that every single day. Some of you hate it. Some of you love it, that saying. But the reality of it is, is sometimes it's the simplest of things that you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at highest level. In the example we just gave you, it would be picking up the phone when somebody calls you. <laughs> talking up, to up, them. Talking to them. Pick up your phone and talk at it. Okay. Point number 12. <laughs> focus on being a listing agent. Listings produce leads, but buyers generally do not. Sellers do have to sell, but buyers have never had to buy. They don't have to buy. They have other options. You've got to lead with listings. We've done entire podcasts on this topic. You know, it is shocking to me that we have talked about this in front of, I don't even know how many people at this point, at live events. And the new agents sort of get this point right away. But the more seasoned veteran agents, especially those who have been buying buyer leads, will argue about this. Yeah. 
So I'm going to say what Julie just said, but I'm going to make it really direct. Big surprise, right? No such thing as a buyer that has to buy. No such thing. That's the reason they drive you crazy because they change their minds. Interest rates went up. Interest rates went down. Or they become unqualified. Or they got COVID. Or the or the weather changes. Or there's something happening in their lives. Or they had bad. They had a bad day. Or whatever, whatever. Right? They change their mind. Their motivation changes because a buyer can always stay put. They can always keep renting, or they can always stay in their existing house, or staying living in their mom's basement. A buyer does not have to ever buy. No such thing. Tim, what about a 1031 tax exchange? They can pay the taxes. There's no such thing as a buyer that has to buy, but there are dozens of examples of sellers that have to sell. You, I, we can rattle them off. If we are, again, in front of a live audience right now, which kind of we are. We are. Yeah. I mean, probably 15,000, sure. 16,000 right now. But the reality of it is, is, if I were to ask you guys examples of sellers that have to buy, it's sell. very easy. Sellers that have to sell, right? It's very easy to come up with examples. They have to sell because they need the money, right? They can't afford the house. They have, uh, maybe there's a legal reason. There's so many examples. Re- examples where it's not really up to them. Like they got relocated. You want your job while well, you're moving to Atlanta. If you want to keep your job, you can't keep your house in wherever you're coming from. Uh, divorce decree, you will be selling the house. You mentioned can't afford it, won't afford it. You know, all of those things. That doesn't happen with buyers. I'll tell you a funny thing from a coaching no, call last no, Notice yeah. the defaults. You have probate listings. You have so many different have examples. You have institutional investors that are looking to sell properties sometimes. These are dispassionate, motivated sellers. It's Julie just said a little tip. If you, it's basically what happens when something external is forcing them to make the decision to sell the house. That's called motivated. Does not exist with a buyer. Be very clear in your head. So if you have to choose to get really good at one thing, get really good at being a powerful listing agent. This is the reason that Julie say, and I say almost every day on this podcast, if you only can get good at five things in real estate, it's pre- proactively uh, lead generating, pre-qualifying, presenting, negotiating, and lead follow-up. Julie does them in a slightly different order. But the point's still the same. You've got to get really good at those five things. If you're terrible at everything else, great. Does not matter because those are the five things that are going to get you paid. Yes. Point number 13, always say, yes, it would be my pleasure to help you with that. Then get help if you need it. You can only build your skills by earning while you learn. So don't say no to opportunities when you can say yes. You can always partner or refer the transaction to another agent if something is just too far out of your wheelhouse, but our coaches are ready every single day to help you so that you can actually follow through on that saying, yes, it'd be my pleasure to help you with that. Here's the problem you guys are going to have. You're going to have brokers that tell you to say no. And when you have a broker that tells you to say no, you need to leave that broker, right? If you run into somebody that needs to know how to do a short sale or might be a short sale candidate, and you don't know what a short sale is, let alone how to do one, and then you go to your broker and ask for help, and because they don't know how to do one, or they're fearful of them, or they've heard bad things about them, or whatever, whatever, they're not going to They're going to tell you just to say no. Never say no to helping somebody in real estate, That ever. goes for leases, that goes for commercial, it goes for mixed use, it goes for land and ranch and farms and everything that might right now feel out of your wheelhouse. That's how you learn. Imagine going to your doctor and you have a particular problem, the doctor says, uh, you know, I mean, obviously if he's not an expert at it, He's going to refer you to another doctor. But imagine walking into a doctor's office and he just said, nope, can't help you. Bye-bye. No, we, I don't, mean, we don't do that. Or, or he goes to ask his doctor partner and his doctor partner says, no, we don't do that. And then they don't even give you a referral. That's not the way professionals act. No. Now, here's the bottom line. Many of you, hundreds of you are right now listening, thinking I need to upgrade my brokerage. And yes, you're right. Upgrade your broker. This is the perfect month to do it. 
Julie and I are proudly associated with eXp Realty. Many of you are looking to join eXp Realty. You're looking for a sponsor that's going to be proactive in your success. We are formally applying for the job of being your eXp Realty sponsor. Text me directly on my cell phone, 512-758-0206. We love the right to earn the right rather to be your eXp Realty sponsor. That's how we look at it. We have to earn the right to be your eXp Realty sponsor. It is our honor when you choose us to be your eXp Realty sponsor. So please text me directly at 512-758-0206. eXp is the perfect brokerage, especially in an economy like this. For agents of all different experience levels, text me directly at 512-758-0206. Point number 14, you mentioned a little bit earlier, this is the one that for some of you is the fly in the ointment. You have to do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. There will be days when you simply don't feel motivated. There will be days when you overthink yourself into analysis paralysis. There will be days when you feel less than competent, but do the work anyway. That way you can have the days of success, gratitude, and profitability. So much comes through you doing the work that you can't get it any other way. And this is why we have daily coaching. It's not a weekly thing. It's not a monthly thing. So the coaches can support you on those days where you're not feeling as powerful as you could. Somebody, uh, I don't remember her name. I'm sorry. I know you listen every day. She, uh, last name was Italian. That's what, Rosette, Rosati, I think. Anyway, she really made a very nice comment about our podcast on her Instagram feed, which I thought was great. And I read the other comments and I thanked her for it. And I read the other comments and somebody actually went to go out of the way, their way and say, no, doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do at the highest level is awful advice. And that's all they, this person said. I thought to myself, huh. well, that is the antithesis, obviously, of anybody that I'd ever want to listen to because, I mean, that is the, the exact example of someone I'd never want to listen to because their philosophy, obviously, is to only do what you feel like doing when you feel like doing it wherever the hell you want to. In other words, follow your passion and the money will follow and all these no other nice yeah. platitudes that every time essentially the economy changes, all the people that believe that are the ones that suffer the most. The reality of it, guys, is following your passion and expecting the money to follow is stu el stupido. It does not work that way. Even if you start doing something that you're passionate about, over time, guess what? You don't feel passionate about it anymore. The reality of it is, is you do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. You be of service to other people. And from the profit that you get from doing that, you feed your passions. Don't try to, you know, con... Uh, lead with the wrong thing. Yeah, don't, don't mix the two. Otherwise, it's too confusing because here's what happens. And you can read this, see this in popular culture. Well, you know what? I just stopped doing it because I just lost my passion for it. Lost my passion for it. I couldn't do it. Charlie Munger quote. Sorry if you guys are here, uh, sick of hearing the Charlie Munger quotes. I love the Charlie Munger quotes. He said his passion was not finance, not numbers, not becoming one of the world's richest men. His passion was freedom. That I'm paraphrasing, but that was the gist of it. He wanted to have autonomy. He wanted to be financially free. His passion was making it so his money was working for him and he no longer had to work for his money. Sound familiar? I know it does. Point number 15. Point number 15, get involved in Premier Coaching so we can move you forward faster, answer your questions daily, and hold you accountable. Scripts, skills, pre-listing package, listing presentation, buyer presentation, and a lot of other things are going to help you build confidence, earn money immediately, and shorten your learning curve. Remember, knowledge equals confidence and ignorance equals fear. So get the knowledge that will bring you the confidence so that you can indeed say, yes, will be my pleasure and help as many people as you can. Do not make the mistake of waiting to join Premier Coaching. Use fourth quarter of this year 
as we've been you know, begging you guys to build the momentum into the following year. That is one of the best ways to have uh, essentially increase your productivity, increase your success level is start your fiscal year now. Start it October 1st. Run it for the next 90 days as if the new year had already rolled around. Don't do what everyone else does and runs their calendar and their energy level and their ambition and allows themselves to get, frankly, overweight and complacent. That's what people do every year. Probably that's what you do. Don't do that this year. See what happens as a result of you actually deciding to truly drill down now so you have massive momentum going into next year. Everyone in our coaching organization is focused on helping you accomplish that goal. Julie just said it. Text the word PREMIER to 47372. Text the word PREMIER to 47372. Remember when texting, message and data rates may apply. So Julie Harris, what is the topic starting tomorrow? We are going to be talking about all of the different ways that you will thrive in the changing market and a lot of action steps that you're going to take. And then on Friday, just in time for the weekend... We are going to circle back to not just sitting your open houses, but monetizing your open houses you because go. they're working so killer right now. They are, and they will continue to. So listen, guys, if you've ever wondered what it feels like to be in the right place at the right time, this is what it feels like if you're allowing yourself to feel that way. This is what it feels like to be in the right place at the right time. You Here, I'll lay, out, lay it out for you. You have a real estate license. Congratulations. The economy is changing. Congratulations. People are going to need caring, competent, mostly skilled real estate professionals more than ever, certainly more than the last 14 years. Congratulations. You're listening to this podcast. We're hopefully turning your dial into the right frequency so that you guys can then essentially enjoy the benefits of a changing market. Right place at the right time. What proof? Here it is. The greatest fortunes of man, including women, obviously, have always been made during the greatest times of change. We are in one of those greatest times of changes now. And by the way, nowhere near the most significant change that even our country in its 300 plus years has experienced. Nowhere near the amount of changes that have happened in 4,000 years of humanity. Nowhere near as severe as some of the things that we've all lived through before. So if you think because of the social things and the outrage and the moral this and the moral that and politics and the interest rates, if you think this is a hard, a bad time to be alive, you are 100% incorrect. Julie and I were talking about this yesterday. I want you to imagine that we're now in pre-World War II uh, history. Everybody is basically knowing that we're about to go to war in Europe. Not very many people know why we're going to war in Europe. We're, you know, There wasn't all the information about the concentration camps and all the rest of it. That didn't come out until after the war was effectively over. <laughs> so people thought they were going to war or they're essentially being called to go to war in some foreign land for the sake of fighting some sort of, you know, fascism and this is the reason it's bad and the rest of it, right? People didn't even have a clear understanding of why they were going to war. But what, what, what were we experiencing as a culture? Go around the country. Go to, frankly, military graveyards. Look at the ages of the people in those military graveyards. So we were seeing thousands, millions of people who are going overseas to fight a war that they didn't completely understand and many of them weren't going to come home. I want you to think about how that must have felt. And by the way, there was rationing. You know, people were unable there. You think we're having supply chain problems now? Imagine it was leading up to World War II where there wasn't even a globalization of, uh, you know, essentially making of stuff. Everything was basically made domestically. And most of the things that were being made were being directed to the war effort, which means there was actual real honest to God hardship. There were no cars being made. It was all being, you know, focused on the military. 
You are growing your own food. You are raising your own chickens to have eggs, all these types of things. And all of that happened in a relatively short period of time. Oh, and by the way, there was no modern medicine like there is now. I mean, we are explaining to Zoe. I mean, (laughs) Julie and I are explaining to Zoe. She was asking me why you're supposed to, uh, you know, kneel before and say your prayer before you go to bed. Okay. And I was explaining to her and she's almost nine, so she can deal with the facts. And I was explaining to her because it wasn't that long ago that a lot of children would die while they were asleep because they were going to bed with a temperature and that temperature maybe overnight got to the point where they didn't wake up in the morning. I know that sounds scary, but she needed to know the truth and that was the truth. And that is oftentimes what happened to little kids. And I was explaining to her, you know, we've been, Zoe's been to graveyards to visit my dad and other people. And, you know, she's noticed the ages of some of the tombstones, especially the ones that are going back into the 17, 1800s. This sounds all very depressing, doesn't it? Well, stay with me here, okay? The point I was trying to make is that the tradition was you obviously say your prayer before you get into bed because there was no guarantee you were going to wake up in the morning. Do you have that problem now, listeners? Do you worry about that now? I pray that you don't. You know, I, I sincerely, some of you might be having health problems and Julie and I pray for you. But the truth is, is that no, you do not. If you get sick, you're going to get healthy again. I walked into Zoe's room two weeks ago and she had a 105 degree temperature. Okay. 105 degrees. And by the way, she didn't even complain. (laughs) She's a terrible patient. I took her temperature and I thought the damn thing was wrong. You know, and no, sure enough, 105. Of course, Julie and I knew to give her some Tylenol and mix it with ibuprofen, right? Tylenol, ibuprofen. And then sure enough, her temperature comes down and all the rest of it. Okay. That was not available not that long ago. So what would have happened to the little nine, almost nine-year-old had she had a 105-degree temperature and her body couldn't fight it off? You guys get the point? We are living at the best time to be alive. You are in the best industry because of these changes going on right now. Do yourself a favor. If you are not feeling that level of energy and enthusiasm, start purging from your life the crap that's making you feel pessimistic. Do it with ruthless abandon. And if it's your brokerage, switch brokerage. If it's friends, change friends. If it's Facebook groups, stop going. Media outlets, stop listening. You've got to protect yourself. Don't believe people that you're not blessed. Do not believe anybody that's trying to convince you you're not blessed. Yes, you might have headwinds in your life. Everybody does. Bless the headwinds you have because they're a hell of a lot less than, say, for example, when you were, say, maybe preparing to go to world war during World War II. Keep it in perspective, guys. Seriously. I mean, I don't want to hear about how it's so complicated right now because all the things that are going on with all these different social causes, that is nothing. That is, those are luxury thoughts of people that are experiencing high levels of abundance. Do you think during World War II, all these social things were even a conversation topic? No, no, because people were worried about survival. So the very fact that these thoughts and these social experiments and these, whatever you want to call it, the very fact that these things can exist right now is because we're all living in a very blessed economic time. Well, it's a demonstration of luxury, isn't it? That it totally. You, that you get to worry about crap like that. It, it, well, you said crap, not me. Well, that was very, I, I'm, yes. you know what I'm saying. Well, but on versus, both sides. versus how am I going to find the seeds for my victory garden so I can grow food for my family? Exactly. And this, so you guys have to be fighting to protect your mindset because people want you to hide out underneath your staircase and they want you to be fearful. And you want to feel that way too. And it comes from a very core place that seeks the negative information. Listen to the story we told all of you guys earlier. What we're doing is hitting you with some truth is truth, truthy, uh, truthiness, truthiness, right? <laughs> That'll then 
on the other side of it, don't fight it, experiment with it. Well, you know what? Tim and Julie, I appreciate what they're saying. I don't really believe the damn thing they just said. Tim just spouts off sometimes. All those things are true. I do spout off sometimes. But here's the challenge I have for all of you. Experiment with what I just said. Go media free. Do it for a day. Do it for a week. Notice how you feel anxiety when you are essentially not feeding your brain with all that crap. And then notice how you will be then maybe a week, maybe two weeks, then you'll make a decision. Stay on the path of essentially having control of your mindset or jumping right back into the, the mosh pit of humanity who's constantly surrounded by negative garbage all the time. You make that decision. You haven't made that decision. Make that decision. And then the highest and best use, the highest, how all of us feel the happiest is when we're being of service to other people. That's the primary driver of what Julie and I are doing our best to help all of you understand. If you want to have meaning and purpose in your life, you have to have meaning and purpose in other people's lives. You have to earn the right to have meaning and purpose in other people's lives through the skills and the experience that comes as a result of the skills that you have to offer. You cannot fake it. You cannot take shortcuts. You cannot influence your way past that really core level truth that all of you know is true. Hopefully you guys will continue to listen to this podcast. This podcast, by the way, somebody also asked us on YouTube why we still work because mm-hmm. we don't have to. Right. We don't. And, <laughs> and we really don't work that hard anymore, really. And the truth is, and I said this on the YouTube comment, we really do. I mean, I can't remember the last time I had a conversation with someone I didn't want, I didn't want to talk to. Sure. I used to have conversations constantly with people I didn't want to talk to. <laughs> right. Like all day. All day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, my life used to be full of doing what I didn't want to do when I didn't want but to do it. But because you and because I did that, we've earned the right to do the things that we do want to do when we want to do them. Yeah. So why do, we, why do we still work? Because we are designed to work and so are you. And because we know, based on all the feedback and the fact this is the number one daily podcast for real estate professionals, at least in the United States, that we're having an impact. We are in alignment with what our highest and truest purpose, uh, which is being a service to all of you. And we're hoping, we're praying that the information we pass along to you inspires you, motivates you, forces you to go to the next level. That way you can be free. That is our goal. That is our goal for you. That's what drives us. So hopefully you guys will resonate with that. And uh, yeah, so. And get to work. There's a, there's a great saying that I wanted to end with, which is, and I can't remember who to attribute this to, but I love this saying, when you pray, move your feet. Yeah. Which means get into action. You can think about things, you can ruminate, you can have your feelings all you want to, but you've got to get into action. And it brings me back to something that Rory used to say to us, our broker. Our original broker. Okay, he, he said, whatever's wrong with you, just go take a new listing, you'll feel better. Just go get a new listing. <laughs> that's what and that's said. really true, because think about listeners right now, if you were today entering, and some of you are, congratulations, entering your newest listing, you know you're going to have it open this weekend, that's going to lead generate for you, it's going to lead to bigger and better things. How much better do you feel because you took action versus sitting around thinking about getting ready to get started to someday possibly feel like maybe taking action. It is so funny. I do remember sitting in a Costco parking lot, basically almost crying because we mm-hmm. had a whole bunch of shit that went wrong, closings and people being Stuff mad at us. sideways. Just, and I remember calling Rory, like Rory would be the last person you'd ever call. He, is, he was not <laughs> the shoulder to cry on. No. But, you know, there he was. And I called him up and, and he just listened to me for like two seconds because he sure as hell isn't going to waste his time listening to someone bitching. Nope. I mean, you know, that's called a good broker, by the way. Yeah. And then he, he, then he said to me, he's talked really, you guys think I talk fast? No way. <laughs> then Rory goes, Tim, do this. Take one list and call me back. <laughs> that's what he said. <laughs> Click. Then he hung up. And then 
you know, I thought to myself, oh, poor me, poor me. And I said, okay, fine. I'm going to take a listing. And then I got on the phone, right sitting in the parking lot. I did some re- pre-qualifying, lead follow-up. I set a listing appointment. I took the listing the next day. And then I called Rory back thinking there was going to be some sort of like black box of information that he was going to tell me. You know, <laughs> somehow is going to be seen behind the, you know, the red velvet, uh, you know, drape. And all of a sudden, this, all this information. Was, and he goes, how do you feel? And I said, well, I feel great. He goes, all right, so here's the deal. Take more listings. Click. That's it. Point made. <laughs> Beginning coaching, people. Exactly. That's it. It you works, guys, though. You guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.